If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of Luke and the 12th chapter. We've been studying through Luke's Gospel and we'll continue to do so this morning in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12. Jesus is going to address for us uh, a matter that everybody in the room is going to find applicable to our, to our lives. I mean, he always does that, of course, but, but there's not anybody in the room this morning that uh, will study these scriptures and say, that really has nothing to do with me or, or my life. Uh, I, I've shared with you on many occasions that, that perhaps my very favorite preacher, is Adrian Rogers, who was the pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee for, for many years. When I lived in Memphis, had the great privilege of, of going to his church. And one of the stories that he always told that most resonated with me uh, was, uh, was uh, when he was going to West Memphis, Ar- Arkansas, to preach a revival. Uh, a young pastor in West Memphis had invited Adrian Rogers to come and, and preach a revival. And when he showed up on a Sunday afternoon, the young pastor said, uh, Dr. Rogers, if if you would, please uh, travel with me down the road a little ways is, a, is, a, is an older man. I've tried sharing the gospel with him on any number of occasions, and he's always been very uh, reluctant to listen to anything that I've had to say. In fact, as a matter of fact, he slammed the door in my face many times, but, but just this week, uh, he's found out he has a terminal illness, and, and the doctors have told him he really doesn't have many days left to live. And so Dr. Rogers said, by all, by all means, of course we'll go. And, and went and visited the man, and, and this time, instead of slamming the door in the face, the, the older gentleman uh, invited them in, began to listen as Dr. Rogers opened the scripture and, and preached to him the gospel of salvation, that we're all sinners, but Christ has come to, to die for our sins, and, and, and the only way to go to heaven is through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and the young pastor just wept as, as this old man, older man that he'd prayed for and, and tried to share the gospel with finally humbled himself and submitted to the lordship of, of Jesus Christ. And, and, and one week later, Dr. Rogers said he got a phone call and the young pastor had died. And, and the older man, whom he had developed a relationship with, having shared the gospel, lived another 15 years. You see, the, 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 the moral or the principle, of course, of the story, the life lesson there is that none of us really know None of us really know, but, but look, look with me uh, in Luke chapter 12. We're going to read this whole text in just a moment. But look in Luke chapter 12, verse 20. A few, a few words in is this phrase. This night your soul is required of you. You see that? This night. Now, there's going to come a day when that's going to happen in your life. This is going to come a day when it's going to happen in, in my life. There's going to come a time when, when, we, when, when, when we die. And the shocking thing is, though all of us know that's going to happen, it's sort of the last thing we like to think about, isn't it? I mean, our, our culture is changing uh, uh, very much when it concerns matters of, of death. Even churches now, you know, you used to have cemeteries by churches we don't even have those anymore. Even within the church, we don't like to think about the subject of death. But here's Jesus' statement. about he, He's telling a story, and as we're going to see, the unfortunate reality is for this man he's speaking about, this man was not ready for that day. And we're going to see why he wasn't ready. He'd made a plan, this, this man that we're going to see, and his plan ended up being a foolish plan. So one of the primary purposes we have this morning is we want to see what his plan was and, and then in humility see in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own way of thinking, perhaps it's possible that some of us have adopted this very same way of thinking 
that left him unprepared to die. And if we adopt it, we'll leave us the very same, same, same way, unprepared for that day. We'll begin in Luke chapter 12, verse number 13. The Bible says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or, or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is, so is the one, rather, who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for the working of the Holy Spirit, that these are Holy Spirit-inspired words we've read from the Scripture. And you've said, Father, of your own word, that it's profitable for rebuke and correction, for training. So I pray that you'd use this. Help us not to be dismissive over eternal things. I pray that that you'd make these words um, words of life for us this morning. We believe this is the eternal word of God. So help us come alive to your word. Father, I pray you'd help us to be sober-minded about this very serious warning. And though we live in a culture that that does not like to think about the subject of, of, of death, which is presented in this text, I pray that you'd give us grace to think seriously about it this morning, to expose any false way of thinking about it that we may have. And, and, and then, Father, not only be prepared to, to die when that day comes, but really be prepared to live all the other days in this life that it doesn't come. And then much more importantly than that, be prepared to live in the kingdom that is to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, our outline will be fairly simple this morning. There's a, there's a setup. There's a setup question or setup statement here. So we'll examine the setup. Then there's a serious warning. We'll look at the warning. And then there's an example that Jesus gives. And, and, and then there is an application for, for us. So let's begin in the setup. The setup here is in verse 13. Someone in the crowd. Now, we're not told their name. We're not told much of their background. Someone in the crowd. Now, you'll remember the context is that Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And, and, and it's been a little while, it's been a few weeks since we've been in Luke 12, but Jesus has been teaching some serious subjects, has he not? He's been teaching about the kingdom, he's been teaching about the crucifixion, he's been teaching about the major themes of our redemption in Christ Jesus. He's been warning about uh, the possibility of false conversion, for example. He, he's been teaching on some serious, significant, some heavy, if you want to use that word, but necessary subjects for for us and as he's traveling someone in the crowd asks him not about the doctrine of atonement someone in the crowd asks him not about uh, what's going to happen when he gets to jerusalem someone in the crowd asks him about um, a temporary matter someone in the crowd said to him teacher now we're already clued in 
about this nameless figure's perspective of Jesus when he calls Jesus teacher. Is Jesus a teacher? Well, sure, Jesus is a teacher. But my friends, he's much more than a teacher. He's the king of kings. There's been born, as the angels announced. The, the angels did not announce there's been born for us a, a teacher in Luke 2. The, the angels announced there's been born for us what? A savior who is Christ the Lord. But this man says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So we get a little glimpse that, that apparently there's this man in the crowd and, and, and he recognizes that Jesus is someone of some, some sort of authority. And so he just kind of shouts out, hey, teacher, tell, uh, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, we won't be long-winded on, on, the, on the background, but in those days when, when a father passed away, he would, he would pass on his inheritance to his, to his children and the um, the cream of the crop, so to speak, the, the best portion of the inheritance always went to the firstborn son. And evidently, this man's not the firstborn son. So he comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, why don't you tell my brother, my older brother, to divide the inheritance with, with me? So what is, the, uh, what is the chief desire of this man's heart? The chief desire of his heart is that he'd get some of these material, well, we'll just, we'll just say it this way. He wants, uh, he wants, the, he wants the money, right? He, he thinks that, that the issues of his life will be remedied or at least made better if he gets a portion of this inheritance. So, so without going too deep in the, in, in the question, well, we can conclude that there's probably some animosity in his relationship with his brother. You know, if they were down for, for, for Thanksgiving dinner, I know they didn't have Thanksgiving dinner, but do you understand? Uh, there's probably some contentiousness there. He and his brother probably don't have a lot of kind words to say. So, so um when he has an opportunity to talk to Jesus about something, he wants to talk about the inheritance. Now, if I can just ask you a simple question. If you had an audience with Jesus, what is it that you'd want to talk to him about? And if we'll flip it around, if Jesus had an audience with you, what do you think he would say is most important for you to hear from him? He says, man, who made me a judge or, or arbitrator over you? And then Jesus takes this moment. He said to them, now, now you saw, saw verse 13, someone in the crowd. So, so Jesus uses this as a moment. That was the setup. And now here's the, here's the warning. He says, take care and be on your guard. Now, in English, when, when we use that phrase, take care, it's a sort of lighthearted, right? I mean, you might tell, tell this. somebody's leaving today. You say, take care, right? But in the Greek language here that, that, uh, that we have a translation from in Luke uh, Chapter 12, is verse 15. It's a strong warning. It's not take care. It's, it's, it's a give me your attention and listen carefully. Be on your guard against, what's the, what's the Bible say? Uh, Jesus is saying be on guard against, against all covetousness. Here's why. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, I want you to hold your spot there in Luke chapter 12 and turn back to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23. Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Now, Jesus has just given us a warning. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And here in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible says, Above all else, guard your heart, for from it flows the springs of life. Do you see that? 
Above all else, that's the, the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flows, uh, here my translation says, for from it flows the springs of, of life. Now return with me to Luke chapter 12. I just wanted to give you a supplemental text to this, that, that Jesus is saying there is something that can sneak its way into your heart that does great danger. Here's the, here, here's the warning of it. It's called covetousness. It's covetousness. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, what is covetousness? Covetousness is, is simply this, always wanting more than what you already have. And most of us probably saw a pretty good picture of that a couple of mornings ago if you gave presents to your children and they began to open it and they finally got to the last present and they got to the last present and what was their first question? Where's the next present, right? Right? Well, we, we, we as parents should be careful about this and not cultivating covetousness in our children. What's the opposite of covetousness? We'll talk about it in a moment. It's contentment. Contentment with godliness is great gain. We'll see that text in, in, in just a moment. But just, uh, hey, parents, we have to help our children be on guard against all forms of covetousness. Now, he says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Is there covetousness in your heart or contentment in your heart this morning? Is there in your heart a desire for more and more and more? Or is there a contentment in your heart that says, what I already have in Christ is enough? Because here's the deal with covetousness. With covetousness, there never comes a moment that you say, I've got enough. I always want more and more and more. And then Jesus gives an example of this very thing. He told them a parable. To illustrate this point, verse 16, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, just con- contextually, in that day, this man, he has a problem. And then he has, mo- he, his land has produced more than he can consume. And I have to tell you, in those days, that was not a problem many people had. Most people had the opposite. They didn't have enough to eat. This man has too much. Now, I want you to see, uh, if you examine it with me, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, now I want you to just notice, he's going to use a word repeatedly in these verses. And I want you to see what it, what it is, because it gets to the heart of covetousness. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now you saw, what was the word he uses over and over? I, me, my. A simple, a simple question, discerning question on the issue of covetousness is do you think more about you, yourself, or do you think more about, about other people? There's covetousness in his heart. He's got an abundance of possessions, and so he develops a, uh, he develops a plan. Now, a few, a few mistakes he's got going on here is, uh, is, is a, a little word he uses. We've already mentioned it. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Now, now the, the simple question is, how did he get the crops? Now, 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 he worked. I'm sure he worked some. But it's the land that produced plentifully, right? The land produces plentifully. Now, now he had worked hard. There's no doubt about that. But, but the land produced, he's been given in large uh, portion these crops because God has blessed him 
with an abundance of crops. But, but he gets it in his mind, and here's the really dangerous thought. He gets it in his mind that those crops belong to him. And it's not just him at that time, in that place, it, it, way back then. It's also us here and, and now. What you have, what percentage of what you have belongs to the Lord? What you have, what percentage of it belongs to the Lord? The, the answer is 100%. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the psalmist, psalmist says. So, so you've got to be careful with this. Whenever we start throwing around these words, I, me, my crops. And then he develops a plan. Look at his plan. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink. And be merry. So he develops a plan, doesn't he? He develops a plan to build larger barns, and obviously larger barns hold more of his crops, and then he can just store it up, store it up, store it up. As the Bible says, for many years to come. And what's his goal? His goal is that he wants to finally come to a point in his life where he can just take a breath and relax. Let me ask another question here from the from the scripture. When you, when you deal with stress, where do you seek to relax? Anybody here deal with stress, by the way? Where do you seek to relax? In, in other words, what, what are you seeking your comfort in? Now, now, he had a plan, and it's a plan a lot of people have. In, in fact, to our sinful nature, it seems logical, right? I'm going to build bigger barns so that I won't be in need and I'm going to store it up and, and store it up, bigger barns, my grain, my goods, and then I'll be able to say, so you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. His plan was to store up food so that he wouldn't have to worry. But here's the problem. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, why? This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Now notice carefully what Jesus says. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So in, in his plan, in his plan that he developed and cultivated, let me give you a few things that he didn't factor into the plan. Number one, he did not factor in his own death. Number two, he did not factor in judgment. And number three, he never thought about the world to come. So real simple, if you want the simplest application we can, we can put, you're either storing up for yourselves treasures on earth or you're storing up for yourselves treasures in, in, in heaven. And now let's get an application. That comes in these next verses. And he said to, verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, in other words, in light of what we've just been talking about, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. What is the problem in the heart of the rich fool? It had been anxiety. Now, can I just, I I know I'm asking a lot of questions this morning. Do do you deal with anxiety? Are you anxious do you know a lot of research and evidence suggests that Americans are incredibly anxious, restless, unable to relax? And, 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 and many Americans are like this rich fool that we, we think if we can just get enough stuff, 
That'll, that'll be security is what he's looking for, isn't it? He wants security from what might happen in his life, but he doesn't actually know that his life's about to, to end. And so he's, he's developed this plan. He's, he's trying to combat anxiety with material possessions. And, and we'll just state it plain. Anxiety will never be overcome with the abundance of possessions. Jesus said as much. Jesus, you know, m- money can be helpful, but you know, there's some things that money cannot do. Number one, money cannot buy off your soul's now required of you. Money, it doesn't actually buy happiness. Money doesn't buy joy. Money can't purchase salvation. Money is actually quite limited in what it can accomplish. So Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. And then he's going to state there is a way, there is a way to overcome anxiety. But it's not the way this rich man does it. So let's, let's find out, how can you overcome anxiety? How can you put your head on your pillow at night and rest and be secure and be at peace and relax if you want to use that word? How, how does that happen? I, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I mean, it's amazing how worked up we get about these things. And look what Jesus says. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, right? This man's trying to build bigger and bigger barns. Jesus says, just look at the ravens. They don't build bigger and bigger barns, yet God feeds them. And of how much more value are they, are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Did you, did you see a diagnosis there? Anxiety is the result of what? Little faith. Anxiety is the result of little faith. Anxiety is the result of not believing God cares for you. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. What Jesus is getting at is his people ought to be distinct from all the other nations, all the other people. And one of the clearest ways you can be distinct in this culture is to be a person of contentment. You'll be in marked contrast to everybody else that you're around if you're content in Christ. Instead, all right, here's the, here's the application. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, backing up to verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And what he did not know is that Christ had come to offer him a vastly superior inheritance. He just didn't have the wisdom to see it. 
He's worried about his brother getting this earthly inheritance and doesn't recognize a superior older brother, as the scripture teaches, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's come to purchase a redemption and inheritance and bestow it on him by grace that was beyond his comprehension. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old and with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For, here's the principle, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Give you a few few applications here before we conclude. First of all, worrying is actually a sin. Worrying is, is a sin. Worrying is not believing God is who he says that he, he would, that, that he is rather. So, a worry is sinful because it's a distrust of God. Worry is sinful because it's a lack of acceptance of God's providence in our lives. And worry has serious consequences. I'll give you just a few of them. One consequence of worry is frustration. You frustrated? Worry is, uh, frustration is a consequence of, of worry because it's not accepting God's direction for our lives. Some of us are frustrated with circumstances that come in our lives and, 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 and we're, we're um, anxious and, and troubled about many things, as Jesus said about, about Martha. Psalm 139, verse 16, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Not only does worry produce frustration, it also produces bitterness It also produces unthankfulness. So the solution to worrying, as Jesus says here in the word, is I submit that God's will is better than my plan. See, this guy came up with a plan, right? What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. Turn with me for just a moment to the book of James, chapter 1. James chapter 1. He started with the right question, but he didn't go to the right place to ask the question. James chapter 1, verse 5. Remember, what's what's the rich fool's question? What should I do? James 1, 5 tells you what to do. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now look what James, look, look ex- precisely where James goes with this flow of thought. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And that is precisely what happens to this man in the parable, isn't it? He fades away in the midst of his pursuit. That's why God calls him a fool. What's the opposite of foolishness? The opposite of foolishness is wisdom. If you lack wisdom, and by the way, 100% of us lack wisdom, well, let's all have the humility to agree with this. None of us are as wise as, uh, as we could be. So Jesus says, or excuse me, James chapter 1 says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. 
So real simple, most all of us are, are, are developing some sort of plan to, to cope and to deal with life. And some of us are like this guy, and we're just trying to build up more possessions. Some of us are relying on a relationship. Some of us are relying on this or that or the other to, to bring, uh, to bring uh, peace so that we can, like this man, say, So you have ample goods for many. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But only one thing can truly be counted on. Instead, verse 31, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Let's look at one concluding text for this morning. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Beginning in verse 6. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6. Paul's writing. He says, Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. Godliness always brings something with it. Godliness always brings contentment. For... For we brought nothing into the world, and we could not take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires. That plunged people into ruin and destruction. Is that what what had happened to the rich fool in Luke 12? It's precisely what had happened. Plunged him into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a a root of all kinds of evils. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Well, we'll conclude where we started off. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. Whether we try to put it off or not think about it, there's coming a day when our soul will be required of us. Now, the, the simple question is on that day, will our soul be required when the testimony of our life was we just built bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns to hold more of our stuff, more of our stuff, more of our stuff that we can't take with us. All right, that was what was true in Luke 12 with that man. Or will our soul be required of us when we were rich toward God what does that mean? Well, I think, I think it means that you've pursued righteousness and godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. And your legacy that you leave behind are not two brothers, two of your sons quarreling over <laughs> they want a part of the inheritance. The legacy, rather, that you leave behind is that your children, perhaps, would follow you where you are going and that they would also pursue righteousness and faith and love and gentleness and steadfastness. And they would join you in fighting the good fight of faith. And taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which they, by God's grace, would also have made the good confession. Let's stand together and we'll pray together and 
offer a time of invitation this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? We've tried very simply to to proclaim the Word of God as it's written right here in the Word before us. Let me ask a few uh, spiritually diagnostic questions. Are you anxious about your life? Are you anxious about your life? Do do you find yourself in some ways like the, the rich fool, making plans internally, talking to yourself and saying, if I just do this and I just do this and I just do this. And yet in all your planning, in all your preparation, God's not anywhere in the equation. I encourage you in the Lord that that's a recipe for disaster. Would you take time during the invitation this morning to ask a simple question? Pray to the Lord that he'd reveal in your own heart and your own mind Do I have covetousness or do I have contentment? My encouragement to you is that the inheritance that the grace of God has provided for you in Christ Jesus is far superior to any momentary, fleeting, earthly, shallow riches you could acquire for yourself. The forgiveness of sin the eternal life provided for you in Christ Jesus frees you up not to hoard all your possessions, but to generously give to others. Frees you up not to be concerned with yourself, but to know that God has redeemed me. So now I get to leverage my life not with getting more and more for me. I've been freed up now to generously give to others as a means and as an opportunity by God's grace to share with them the same inheritance of eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask for your mercy and grace that we have discernment this morning. We not be hearers of the word only and, and, and walk away with a few cliches that, yeah, I should be content and not covet, but, but by your grace and by your spirit, you'd really search us and know us See if there be any wicked way in us. Father, we really don't know when our soul will be required of us. But we ask when that day comes, we wouldn't have spent all our time building bigger barns, but we'd have invested in eternal things that do not pass away. In Jesus' name.